וגם אני פתאום Welcome back to another episode of Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, director of the Columbus Community Kolel, and it's a great honor and privilege to welcome all of you back to an episode featuring Rabbi Yitzchak Feldheim. Rabbi Feldheim and I got to meet each other at the Torah Masora conference um, just a few months ago and uh, had a great time getting to know him and schmoozing with him and learning a little bit of what, about what he does and how he inspires everyone of all walks of life basically in every area, not just in this country, but countries around the world. So I think you're going to very, very much enjoy this episode. It's going to be fun, exciting, and uh, I think you might even have a hard time turning it off. Uh, to sponsor a episode, please email me, sponsorcolote at gmail.com. Once again, if you would like to sponsor an episode, sponsorcolote at gmail.com. But without any further ado, allow me to tell you about our guest. Rabbi Yitzchak Feldheim grew up in Washington Heights and attended Yeshiva Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch and the Masifta of Long Beach. He spent four years studying in Muncie and Israel under Rabbi Shmuel Feivelson, Rabbi Zivulan Schwartzman, and the Mir, followed by seven years at Beth Medrash Gavoah in Lakewood. In 1991, Rabbi Feldheim traveled to Vilna, Lithuania, to open the first Yeshiva there since before the war. He was the rabbi of Yardley, Pennsylvania for 15 years, during which he built a community of Bali Teshuva and founded Bucks County Community Kolel and the Bucks County Yeshiva High School. While in Yardley, he became involved in College Kirov, establishing outreach programs at Rutgers University and Penn State. As an expert in Jewish thought and philosophy and an engaging speaker, Rabbi Feldheim has become one of the most sought-after lecturers in college outreach. Over the last 10 years, as national lecturer for Eisha Torah for Gateways, Project Inspire, and his own organization, Rabbi Feldheim has lectured for communities and campuses across the U.S. and around the world. He has spoken on almost every campus with a significant Jewish presence, from Austin to Berkeley to Wharton and Yale. Internationally, he has lectured in India, South Africa, Central and South America, and throughout Europe. And a lot more to read on the bio, which maybe we'll save for another time. But Rabbi Feldheim, thank you so much for joining Kolot. Oh, Rabbi, that, that was amazing. You know, I saw in your, uh, I read in your bio about how much you've done on college campus. I know that you said most recently it's taken a little bit of a shift, but let's dive into that chapter of your life. So you traveled, you know, to basically every campus with a significant Jewish presence. And why? Like, why do they bring you in? What did you discuss? You know, what did you share in common? So I'll tell you, the, the, you know, today, there's, there's a lot of interest in outreach. So basically every campus with a significant Jewish presence has really a rabbi or at least one rabbi on campus full time. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're, they're all over the U.S., people living in the middle of nowhere, raising their kids. Um, and But the problem is that the campuses are, they're really, they're so left wing that in the rabbis are very limited in what they could talk about. You know, you can't move somewhere and be fully invested and buy a house and an outreach center and get thrown out in three weeks. Right. So, and they will, and they will be. I mean, there is, you know, religion altogether is not like exactly welcome, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let alone Orthodox 
branch of religion, you know? So they, they're they limited in what they could talk about. You know, they could have Shabbos guests, they could be warm, they could be there, be like sort of therapists for the kids and counselors, and they can talk about Lashon Hara and, and social justice and mm-hmm. Chesed and, and, you know, but... Yeah, take an olam. No, the truth is, and they talk about Shabbos. They talk about a lot of things, but you're, you're not getting any kids to, to really take you seriously unless you deal with the elephants in the room. Mm-hmm. And the, now, the elephants in the room evolved, but when I was started doing it, it was every conversation was feminism, you know, and atheism, evolution. Um, today it's gender roles or genders at all together, and there's homosexuality. These are all huge issues, and the rabbis cannot go there. Mm-hmm. You can't talk about it. You'll be thrown off campus no matter what you say. So so what do they do? You're, you're not going to get anybody to take you seriously unless you deal with the big issues. Otherwise, you're just basically a, a vending machine, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> giving them food and, and shop. So what they do is they bring in outside speakers. That was my job. They they would bring me in, mm-hmm. and I would, t- I would do the tough stuff and talk to the kids. And if it d- didn't go over well, then they would say, oh, I'm sorry. We'll never bring him back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was... I was like a buffer zone, you know, and I, I can't say it always went well, you know, it just takes one student to to make right. a scene. Right. I started an Arab riot once in Rutgers University. Oh, tell me about that one. I don't know. You want... <laughs> uh, off record, we should talk more. I can tell, I can tell you, but I, you know, it's, uh, it's more cute than, 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 you know, than edifying, but. Um, okay. Let, we take but, cute things here. Okay. So I'll tell you. So, I mean, I think we were talking then about, it wasn't even a real issue. It was a total misunderstanding. It, 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 we were we were talking about men and women's roles, mm-hmm. and 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 I was responding to an, a claim that somebody said that uh, you know our Tzniyas roles are like Taliban light, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like like so you have a lower standard, but you're still basically telling women how to dress and you're telling people to cover up. How are you different than Taliban? You know, mm-hmm. the Taliban's like the worst word in those days. You could probably, you know, before mm-hmm. Islam was rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those mm-hmm. days, it was like, that was like the, so, so my, basically my response was that I hear your point that we both tell people to cover up, you know, fine, fear. Right. It's a fear point, but you can't judge what something's about by the external representation of it. You know, you get to different places from totally different angles. Mm-hmm. For example, and the, what, what, what you're objecting to is the philosophy, the ideology that's behind it. So let's, let's look what they are. Like I'll give you an example. If you're, you have somebody on a ho- picture of a guy on a highway pushing somebody in front of a truck. You know, so you can't tell from that picture, is he a murderer or is he the hero pushing him out of the way? You know, it's the exact same pose, exact same posture, the same back, the same hands. But one guy's a hero and one guy's a murderer. So Mm -hmm. it's very possible that any one snapshot is misleading. I said it's exactly that with with the laws of of Tznias and modesty. I gave a metaphor that let's like when you go to a zoo, you know, so they have dangerous animals in a zoo. You have uh, gorillas and lions, whatever. So we have cages. Why do you put the gorillas in the cage? You put the gorillas in the cage to protect the people outside the cage from what's inside the cage, mm-hmm. right? The, the goal is to protect the outside people. You're containing him because he's dangerous. You go to Fort Knox, you have the exact same cages made by the exact same Acme, you know, bar and cage company. And all the gold is in there. What's the purpose of those cages? It's to protect what's inside and not to protect what's outside, you know? So they're radically different ideas. In Islam, 
What's the philosophy in Islam? Is that a woman's beauty is dangerous. It's going to corrupt the feeble minds of the men. It's going to make them distracted or worse. And therefore, we have to cover up the women to protect the men. Islam sees the beauty of women as the dangerous, as something dangerous to be subdued, to be tamped, tamped down, you know, to be restrained in order to protect the men who are going to be victims of this danger. You know, many people think that Judaism's approach to modesty is the same thing. It's like the, you know, because that's what we normally assume modesty is. So people on autopilot assume that, but it is the furthest thing from the truth. Mm-hmm. The reason we have modesty in Judaism is, is the gold metaphor. Is What's the source text for modesty? Kol kavuda basmelech penima. The dignity, the majesty of the princess is not to be exposed. Our reason for Tznias is, is, is that women shouldn't become degraded. Women doesn't need a man's recognition. They're, 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 they're valuable in themselves without any acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. There's two, so there's two different reasons to cover someone up. One is to protect the people who are outside from the beauty, which is going to corrupt their minds. And one is, is to, is to maintain their majesty, their dignity, their purity. So the world will be inspired by them, but, but it's about them. It's about their dignity. Mm-hmm. So that was my point. So there was a girl in the crowd, you know, she didn't understand the whole conversation, but she said some random point that I don't know what you're talking about. I have Islamic friends who are, um, who don't wear burqas. Like that wasn't even a discussion. That was like 45 minutes before when the person phrased the question, you know, she was really on my team saying, saying that she wasn't saying that we're different. She's saying they don't wear burqas either. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I said, I, I said, okay, I, I don't know how that addresses the point, but, but fair, but they're probably like in Turkey or Egypt, you know, a more secular Islamic country, because there's <laughs> something called, there's something called being, you know, Muslim and, and there's something called Islam, you know, mm-hmm. and so she, she didn't understand that distinction and she was saying her thing. So there was another kid in the back who said, who got up and tried, I was like losing the crowd. The whole crowd was angry at her and everyone's yelling. I said, everyone stop it. So there was one girl in the back who was like raising her hands, sort of. So I called on her, like to try and get the whole room in control. Like that was my one chance to get, everyone was angry at her. She wasn't, what she's saying didn't make sense. It wasn't the, wasn't on topic. They were defending me, even though they weren't religious, but they just like, what are you doing? That wasn't what he was saying. The girl in the back gets up and says, I don't know what you're saying, but I, I, my father is Muslim and my mother is Jewish and everything the rabbi is saying true is true. Whatever me and my sisters want to do, we first have to ask, how is it going to affect the boys? Mm. And every, everything I want to wear, do, go, it's always how the boy is going to be affected. Mm. And so everyone, that was a disaster. Everyone sort of said, you see, you see, Uh (laughs) that girl runs out of the room and she went to this, what they call the middle East coexistence house on campus. Mm -hmm. And uh, like a safe space or something. I don't know. I don't know. I never went there. And, and she told them that there's a rabbi in the Hillel building telling everyone that Muslim women are gorillas and Jewish women are gold. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we had a whole riot. They were all outside the Hillel. They were throwing things. uh, (laughs) Wow. So that's your more extreme story. Um, Tell us about some of the, uh, maybe less dramatic, but, you know, productive and constructive, um, you know, conversations, even if they were like critical conversations about some of the hot button issues. That's one that you mentioned. What are some other issues? And tell us a little bit about the back and forth and how you may have inspired people. Okay. So, so this is, you know, this is something that's consistent between the colleges and what I'm doing, what I did then and what I'm doing now. I sort of have like a, 
a system, like a like a, a way of like I don't just give random classes. I have like a it's like a a worldview. You know, mm-hmm. I've built the worldview, and it's it, it. I did it on campus. I can take it with me wherever I go. And I'm just giving over a different worldview. I call it, I call it religion, mm-hmm. it's religion with a rea. It, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, most people look at religion as like the real world is science and physics and psychology and all these things. That's the real world. And then I figure out what I'd like to do with my life. And then some religious guy comes and goes, I know that that's what you want to do, and it's fun. But that's only for this world. There's a world to come. Which with all different worlds, and that world lasts forever. So you shouldn't do what you think makes sense. You should do what we're telling you, because because mm-hmm. that's forever. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 yes, you'll have fun for eighty years, but don't you want to have pleasure forever? And forever is all different rules, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So so th- th- that may be true for many religions, but it's not Judaism. You know, Judaism. We believe that that the Torah is the guidebook to happiness, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. He, Here's how I tell it to the students. I'll tell you, this is my first class on any campus. I come to a campus. This is this is what I tell them. I go, guys, because they, they don't want to hear me. You know, they're there for the free pizza. <laughs> That's what's going on. The, the rabbi is bringing free food, a free Chinese, and and they like him. He takes care of them. He's there for them. So they owe him once in a while to come to to to, to, to a guest lecture. And then hopefully they get hooked there and they realize it's not what they thought it was and they stick around. That's uh-huh. the model. Uh-huh. So So the first thing I say is, you guys think I'm here to tell you to stop going to clubs. That's what you think. So I want to be very honest. No bait and switch. That's exactly why I'm here. <laughs> I'm here to tell you don't go to clubs. You know, but but you don't understand. You're misunderstanding why I'm telling you that. You are under the assumption, like I just told you that speech. You're under the assumption that I'm telling you don't go to clubs because it's too much pleasure, hedonism. You should be more serious, more restrained. You should be more spiritual, less physical. More about the next world than this world. More soul than body. All those nice little catchphrases. But mm-hmm. but you're being too. Too base, too coarse. You should be more refined and holy and less less party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what you think. And the who who wants to hear that? Mm. I said, but the truth is, you don't get it. Judaism is about nothing but happiness and joy. That is the only reason for creation. That's the goal of the Torah. It's just. It's, so why am I telling you don't go to clubs if that's the entire program of Judaism is happiness? Because the secret is is that nobody ever went to a club to be happy. It never happened. People go to clubs because every year they get darker and louder. It's a place to hide from your truths. When you were eight years old, you wanted to mow lawns a whole summer so you can make enough money to buy some girl an ice cream. You wanted to carry her books home from school and you wanted to earn her hand. You wanted to kill a dragon and get a princess. You wanted to be deserving of something noble and regal and pure. That's all you wanted. You just wanted to be great. And then things happen in life and you don't believe that you, that which princess is going to want me? Or if you're a girl, who's going to want to slay a dragon for me? Who's going to value me? Who's going to honor me so much? Who's going to see my value? And we start to give up and, and, and we go through life and we chisel away at our dreams. And what happens then is that your dreams become painful. You know, uh, it's like a cliche that there are girls who burn their diary in college. You know, what are you doing when you burn a diary? You know, and there are definitely guys who take their trophies off their fireplace mantle and put them in the attic. Mm-hmm. Why would someone put away their trophies? Why would you burn your diary? Because yeah. if you're if you're a deep person and you, you 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 hear those voices of your dreams in your ears, it hurts when you think that ship sailed. 
You know, the first people up in any house in the morning are the little kids. They're bouncing off the walls. The parents have to lock their doors and say, just because you're up doesn't mean we have to go play in the living room, let mommy and daddy sleep another half an hour. But that doesn't go on forever. That's right. That's right. If my kids are listening, that's right. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, but 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 I'm, I don't want to scare you, but you got to be careful because it, it, it ends very, very quickly, unfortunately. By the time the kids are 13, 14, you wake up in the morning and the house is deadly silent. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God, who, st- who, who stole the kids? You know, and then you go in and there's your son in bed. You know, it's like, Moshe, what? school, Shacharis, what's going on? I, I, I heard you, Daddy. I'm up. I, I'm up. I heard you. And then 10 minutes later, no, the school, what are you doing? And, and and I'm up. I I heard you. You know, the third time, it's like, Daddy, you're getting weird already. Okay, it's good. I'm in control. You know. Yeah. yeah. What happens? What happens from from four years old to fourteen? What happens? What happens is is that at four years old, we're giggly and giddy and, and innocent and pure, and then we go through life, and all that is there's different ways we lose that 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 fire, but we lose that fire. And and then we start to put the covers over our head. We push snooze buttons and weird noise canceling headphones. You know, like what, what are noise canceling headphones canceling? Yeah. Universe, <laughs> reality. You know, you put yourself in this little bubble and you live there. So this, this is the story of the world. And, and people, I'll tell you the coolest way I say it. I don't want to get hung up on one point, but it's, it's really cool to share this with people. I'm, lo- I'm loving this. So continue. Okay. Okay. Amazing. So we're on the same wavelength. I like it. Okay. So, you, so not everybody likes this stuff, but, uh, you know, I guess the people who lost their dreams don't want to hear it, but you're a dreamer. So you're, you're still on fire. So you like hearing it. Okay. I'm the sixth okay. Who's up at five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, you know how high school kids and college kids, there are words that they use. Like every third word is the same word. It makes parents crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I started doing outreach, I'm going to give away how old I am now. When I started going out, the word was, Maybe you can guess, you know, maybe some of your audience, I don't know, anybody might. It was like the California Valley Girl times. Like it was like, like totally awesome. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. that's awesome. That is so awesome. Totally awesome. Like totally awesome. It was like this, but it was always awesome. Awesome is the word awesome with a Svardi pronunciation, you know, <laughs> a patach instead of a comma. So, yeah. so you know what the word is today? The number one word in any college or high school? Whatever. This is very heavy. I don't think there are two words in any language as far apart as the words awesome and whatever. Awesome is the mo- is a word full of anticipation and joy and optimism and excitement. It is an exuberant word. It's a word full of positivity and hope. It's going to be great. There is no sadder, more broken word than whatever. It's a long word, whatever, but it's much longer than it looks. Well, whatever means is once upon a time, I thought things were awesome, awesome. I was going to live. I lived with fire. I woke up in the morning early. I took on the day. I giggled. I bounced. I was that. And then things happened that I don't believe. All those things I wanted are going to come true. And it's, I don't deserve it or it's not happening. I'm not good enough. Or and, and it now causes me so much pain to think about all my dreams. And I can't cope with that pain. So I need to come up with some way to convince myself that all those dreams are foolish, childish, la-la land. So I came up with this word, whatever. And it helps me live and cope with what I believed was once awesome. Mm-hmm. And that is what happened in our world. Our world went from a mantra of awesome to a mantra of, of whatever. Or another way to see it is little kids are wide-eyed, like big eyes. Like high school kids know how to roll their eyes. Mm-hmm. 
the gap between wide-eyed and eye-rolling is the saddest journey in the world. And this is what we're dealing with. Well, what, what contributed to that? I, I don't know. You know, it, it's a nice thing to think about. I, I, I'm always tempted to think more about it and more about it. And I'll, 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 you're asking, so I'll, I'll tell you what I have. But I, 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 at one point, I just I said, forget where it came from. How, how are we dealing with it? You know, everybody's always looking for sources. And and you, you sort of lose it. Right now, we have like, it, it's kids suffering, you know? So like, how do we get them out of it? But but you're right. Well, if we you know, know how we got in we yeah, might, there's know so how to get many out. reasons there's so many reasons Every, you know how i say it in the in the garden of eden this mm-hmm. is just you know this is humanity's story it's always been like this uh, i'll give you a taste of my religion torah yeah. religion yeah. says this is the garden this is the garden of eden what do you mean where are you you're in uh, you're in uh, ohio maybe ohio is a garden i don't know but but uh, i i spent my my weeks in florida in, in Miami, you know, it's definitely a garden. The whole America's a garden, you know. America's Earth isn't the garden. This is the garden, and we're Adam and Eve. And all God wanted is for us to be dancing barefoot in His garden, swim in His seas, climb His mountains, smell His flowers, sing His songs, walk with a lot of kids with matching clothing, sit down to Shabbos sudas, bounce around, play games. He wanted us to have endless joy forever. But there's another place in the garden called bushes. And Adam and Chava, instead, they get ashamed and they hide in the bushes. And this is the story of all of humanity. Every subsequent Adam and Eve has made the same journey. We're born with a garden in front of us with dreams and goals to dance in this garden. We all have subtly different dreams of how the dance looks, but everyone wants to dance in the garden. And inevitably, we do things or things happen that we feel naked and ashamed and we go hide in the bushes. And to me, all of Judaism and all of the Torah is nothing more than the book, the guide to how to get Adam and Eve out of the bushes back into their garden. And that's what Torah is. Um, and, and that's called, that's my religion talk. You know, mm-hmm. when, when I started going to campus, it wasn't like that. When I was a rabbi, that's what I made my career. I was, I, I like to be known as like a philosopher. And you know? that was my thing. I read every mm-hmm. book on Jewish philosophy. I learned how to debate and answer questions. And I would spend my time in college debating professors and fighting with smart students and all that kind of stuff. And at one point I started to go to more like, like, like a few years before COVID, I would come to school and I would say my same old talks mm-hmm. and I would get this like blank look from the students. Like, 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 what are you talking about? And I go, what do you mean? It's like true. It's deep. It's powerful. Maybe, but you don't get it, Rabbi. I pay $30,000 a semester tuition and I get drunk every night. You think my problem is I don't know stuff? My problem is I can't do the stuff that I already know. Why are you telling me new stuff? You know, put your stuff in the back of the line. When I ever get around to the stuff I already know, I'll do yours also maybe. But mm-hmm. my issue isn't what's true. My issue is how come I can't live by my own truths? So people aren't like the olden day Asia Torah, 1970s and 80s. Um, they're searching. They don't, they have to find themselves. Those days are over, you're saying. No, no I, I, listen, I was the national lecturer of Asia Torah and I was very instrumental in moving them away from the discovery seminar. Discovery seminar was a seminar that most of the people who are religious today in the Mahua Bali Chuva became Bali Chuva through that. It was a way of proving the Torah, the divinity of Torah. It was, but that's not what people need today. It doesn't work. It's because mm-hmm. they can hear it and they can buy into it. And they're still, 
they're still on TikTok all day or online. Or mm-hmm. what happens is you ask what caused it. I'm again, I'm keep on describing what it is, but what caused it? It, it listen, it happens as children sometimes. You know, even if I know, you know what? Yeah, I'll tell you the way I just said it. It's very powerful. This idea. Um, it's a little old, but I just spoke by the Project Inspire convention. The topic they gave me, very powerful topic. Um, I hope I did it justice. And if you like it, this stuff, you can hear it on Torah anytime. I just did it Saturday night. The topic was innocence versus sophistication. Should we be building higher walls or wider bridges? Mm -hmm. That was like, what should we be doing? Should we be closing off the outside world, secularism, all these ideas? Or should we be making bigger, higher walls or bigger bridges, you know? find ways to, to cross over or find ways to keep it out. That was innocence. I called it innocence versus sophistication. It wasn't my first choice. I gave him a better, uh, I, I like good names. I gave him a great title of a name. They didn't choose it, unfortunately. Uh-huh. I tell you my title. I, got, I, can't, I couldn't use it in the class. At least I could tell it to you. <laughs> if you don't like it, you better not tell me. It was, I thought it was the best title. My title was, if you want to fly with spirit, you have to leave your baggage behind. Oh, that's good. Yeah, isn't that so? Why didn't they choose it? Well, it's a little uh, long. It's a little long. I hear. Okay, you're like a marketing guy. I don't know. I love that title. <laughs> um, it's a good tagline. I just don't know if it's a title. But yeah, anyways, let me hear the schmooze. Yeah, so so the schmooze was like this. I, I gave really this sort of this introduction about the inner kids and being alive, and, and that by the time we're adults, we're all curled up in a fetal position most of the time. Or even people are working, we're like going through motions. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the American dream? The American dream is to make so much money. I can retire young and sit in a hammock, you know, drinking, drinking lemonade. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if you think about it, I, I spell it out like what's a hammock. That's hammocks a very, very sad dream because here's the dream of a hammock. A hammock is it's good. Like close my eyes. I'm getting my, get into my hammock girl groove, you know, no bills, no bosses, no smog, no pressure, no deadlines, no commuting, no homework, no diapers, no parents, no kids, no tests, no finals, no clients, no homework, no, no highways, no police, no IRS. You know, it's an amazing dream. No, you like it? Like just what's the common denominator of everything in that dream? No bosses, no clients, no kids, no parents, no pressure, no school, no noise, no smog, no traffic, no hassles, no grief, no pressure. No. Every single thing in that list is a law, is the absence of a negative. Mm-hmm. If you had to give a numerical value for that dream, what would the number of that dream be? It's a zero. It's just getting out of the red. When you get out of the red, you don't have anything. That's not a dream of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Everything I listed is a pain. So our dream is to make the pain stop. Everyone has sort of written off pleasure. Pleasure is love and creativity and accomplishment and power and building and nurturing and knowing and all all pleasure are achievements, positive experiences. Mm -hmm. But I feel like people just live with so much pain that the idea of the pain stopping is so appealing that that becomes our goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Basically, we have like, Again, I'm not saying everybody, but if you have, you know, if you're out there, definitely if you're on campus, you see it. You know, you know I, I do find it interesting. You're saying that while we're in an opioid crisis, maybe there's yeah. something between the two. Yeah, yeah. You know, opioids are a very severe way of dealing with it. But right, right. the more common way to deal with it is just to be, to, to oh, why do we push snooze buttons four or five times? You know why in the morning? Nobody believes that five minutes of nervous sleep is worth anything. I figured out the secret of why I, I, I know I'm, I myself, I used to daven in 
shouldn't put this on tape, make myself look bad, but who cares? You got to be real. You got to be real. So yeah. I used to dive in Lakewood. We have these big, huge, we call minion factories. Sure, sure. You know, Sotmer, where did he go? Sotmer, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go, I used to go there every day to the minion factory. And I noticed that I would always go to the minion that's like up to Baruch Sha'amar. Uh, you know, there's a minion starting in four minutes that's up to brachas. You know, I can start from the beginning. Why do I have to go to the minion that's already five minutes in? Yeah. You know why? I not, I wasn't I wasn't in that major rush. Because if I go to a minion where I'm caught up and I'm with them, I have to really be present and think and face face my truth. Mm-hmm. If I'm five minutes late, all I have to do is read Hebrew really fast for an hour. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this is what try, I think. I, I'm going to try not to admit that I identify with that, but yeah, I can. Yeah, that's, that's, I, listen, it's 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 universal. This is this this is the, these are the escapes. We all come to the same stuff, you know. Uh, um, we have the same dreams, and you know, more or less, and and the same experiences that chisel away at our dreams. So we. We, we we then and then listen. If you're a shallow guy, you don't need to do anything. You you just dreams, pff, dreams. You know, give me an Xbox, I'm good. You know, most people can play Xbox and they forget all the all their voices or all their all their dreams. Mm-hmm. But if you're deeper than that, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And 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 or you know, eventually the you know your mother takes away the Xbox. You know, or or the bar closes, or or you run out of money in the slot machine, or you uh, whatever. Eventually, even if you do find a hiding place, it doesn't work forever so eventually you, you face the pain so we've developed different coping mechanisms this being late thing that's what i found the snooze button is about if i can't wake up on time i'm present the entire day i experience every moment of my day if i push the snooze button then my whole day can be being a little bit late playing catch-up and catch-up i could survive and i see the students doing this the, the last session of the day everyone's on their cell phones preparing what they're going to do as soon as class ends. Because God forbid there should be a moment of silence. Because in silence is your truths. And everybody wants to run and, and you can't face your truths if you're not who you wanted to be. So you got to, you got to, before school ends, you got to know where you're going and you have to go there and hang out there until it's so late and you're so drunk or so tired that you fall, go home and you fall right back to sleep. And then the next day it's rinse and repeat. You know, you get up and you push the snooze button and you go to sleep tired again. If we can do this for 80 years, I never have to face my truths and I could be numb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You know, actually, now that I think about it, the longest hour of my day is the hour I put away my phone when I'm putting my kids to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I get yeah. that. I, I, I'm telling you, and and it's the best movie ever did. It'll change It'll change your kids' lives. Yeah. I'm trying to see if I could go. Now, why not? If there was... If there was one hour to put to, to be real, that's the hour, you know, because it might be too late for us, <laughs> but our kids, our kids can still live. Your kids are still whole. And mm-hmm. if they have a father who's totally present and not looking at their phone or thinking about things or worried, that's what changes their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, they get a, they get, they get an expectation of what reality could be. They see a conversation without that haze and that mask. It's very rare. Most people never see that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'll give you a really powerful way. I say, I say this sometimes is that how come by breakfast, we read the cornflakes box for like the 47th time, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I know every nutrient and every major brand of cereal by heart with and without a half a cup of skin milk, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and if you buy those like 
religious brands, the from brands, you know, like all the Hatzalo warnings. I can do the Heimlich maneuver in my sleep, you know? <laughs> like, why? You know, nobody reads things two, three times, maybe two, but why would we read the same thing 47 times? You know, you sit there by, you know why? Because what's behind the cornflakes box is our wives. Mm-hmm. If you remove the box, you know what a man sees when he looks in his wife's eyes? He sees everything he promised when he walked down the chuppah. Mm-hmm. And if you're not that guy, you can't look in her, her in the eyes. It hurts too much. Mm-hmm. But if you are that guy, you know, imagine that you're honest and you're faithful and you, you don't look at things you shouldn't look at and, and you, you, you're working hard and you go to shul every morning and you're doing dafiomi and you have a chavrusa and you come home and you're careful how you talk and you turn your phone off when you speak to your kids and you do all those things. You know what happens then? That guy can't wait to look his wife in the eyes. Because there's no greater joy in the world than looking in your wife's eyes and seeing that look that says you're everything you promised. This is the, in the wife's eyes is where you have truth, you know, and that's the truth. And and they're dreamers; they don't lose their dreams. Women, women are deeper and holier than us. And a man can play it. You know, women don't play Xbox like men do nearly as much because it doesn't work for them. <laughs> they're so deep; nothing's shutting down their dreams. You know, their their truths. You know, so. This is this is how I see it. So, so the question is, where does that come from? Why, when we're kids, are we so in the zone and bouncing off the walls, wide-eyed? And why, when we're o- older, do we start rolling our eyes and cackle? You know, the little kids giggle, and uh, adults we cackle. You know, we sarcastic laughter. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this Billy Joel had a song I used to always quote. Uh, nice Jewish boy. You know, both of his parents were Jewish, but none of his wives. I say. <laughs> but Billy Joel has a song. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. Oh, you ever heard that? Maybe, but it's... very powerful song. But the problem with the song is it was number one for a long time. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints because people picture the sinners partying and the saints all crying. Because, mm-hmm. but that song's about Catholic girls. Mm-hmm. That's what the song's about. Mm-hmm. You know, very powerful lyrics, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, what, I, what, what I tell people is, is that the song's a lie. You know, people think it's an opposite, holy or happy, you know, holy. No, no, no. We want to be happy. Mm-hmm. Happy and holy. Happy and holy. They're numb. The, the, the saints aren't crying. And maybe in Christianity, the saints are, they don't drink, they don't get married, they're celibate, they're silent, they have faith. You know, we don't believe in any of that stuff. Those are all the same. You know, what, 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 what fasting is to your stomach is what silence is to your mouth. It's what celibacy is to your body. It's what faith is to your mind. It's just the ignoring of yourself. And yeah, and that's suffering. But mm-hmm. we, we believe in feasting and singing and dancing and marriage and thinking and depth and questioning. For us, it's, we believe in joy. Mm-hmm. I say we we laugh and they laugh. The argument is not saints laughing, saints crying, and sins and, and sinners laughing. Both of us laugh. The saints laugh that innocent giggle of purity, and the sinners laugh. I call it the saddest sound in the world. It's that cackle of somebody sitting on the stoop watching it after he dropped out, watching his friends go to school with all their books or or going to work with their their at the showcase. It's the cackle of the people who have, who have the chillers making fun of all the productive people, the people working hard, mm-hmm. being married. We both laugh. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a giggle versus a cackle. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's wide-eyed or eye rolls, awesome or whatever. It's all the same talk. Uh-huh. But you asked you asked the most important question. Maybe I, I I I'm a little bit of a cop out that I tried to avoid it, but I'll tell you what I think the cause. I think there are two causes. My daughter got married during COVID, and I originally said this by her sheva brachas. There was only nobody, hardly anybody there. But um, there were two things going on in the early COVID days: COVID and the early George Floyd riots. Mm-hmm. Remember that. It, the news was only full of two things. Everything was either Derek Chauvin, that was the cop with the yeah. with the knee on the neck, or or COVID. And um, I believe that they're almost the same thing, but at the same time, they're sort of opposites. They both have the same mantra: COVID and Derek Floyd and and Derek Floyd and George Floyd both had the same mantra: I can't breathe. I can't breathe. COVID shuts off your breathing and Derek Chauvin cuts off your breathing. But there are two opposite ways you lose your breath. The metaphor in Judaism for life is breath. God creates Adam with breathing his life into him. And we're animated because we have breath. And that's the little kid bouncing off the walls. And those are our dreams. It's all God's breath. And we all lose it. And we end up in the bushes. There's two ways you lose it. You lose it through the COVID model or the the COVID model is where it comes from inside. The Derek Chauvin model is where it comes from outside. The way it comes from inside is sort of uh, comes from inside. Is You look at things you shouldn't look at and you feel ashamed. Shame is where it comes from inside. I don't mean shame from other people. Shame reveals not real shame. I call that secondary shame. What happens is I, I did things that I'm ashamed of. I can't look in the mirror. Then I find all new people who don't know what I did and they think I'm the man and they like me and they follow me. And then so I live, I look at myself through their eyes. They're a mask. They allow me to feel great because they think I'm great. So they're a mask. Then when they see through me and I'm embarrassed in front of them, it's not them embarrassed of. It's that my, my mask them, their awe of me was peeled away, and now I'm forced to deal with my initial shame. So really, shame is only the inability to see yourself. Public humiliation is just robbing you of a mask that would allow you to compensate. Because if you know you're really great, and people don't like you, you're not embarrassed. They can't embarrass you. They can only embarrass you if you already don't believe in yourself and you thought you were getting away with it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so... so the way I explain how shame works, shame is the feeling you feel when you cop out, when you don't live up to who you wanted to be, your own standards, whatever your standards are. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you feel shame, it means that you didn't do something you believed in. So so let me ask you, is shame different than regret? Interesting. Um You know what I would say? I, again, I, I would say that what, what shame does is shame causes you to, to lose your bounce and to be reluctant, to live with a hesitancy and a reluctance. You don't feel like you're going to be successful. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. And you become hesitant, tentative, reluctant. And then you miss out on many, many experiences and mm-hmm. opportunities because you, you didn't try. You didn't apply to that school. You didn't ask that girl for a date. You didn't. Uh, you didn't take on that project because I'm never going to get it. You know, who am I? I'm a nobody. 
because you feel mm-hmm. ashamed. Mm-hmm. And then regret is the feeling you feel for all the opportunities that you missed because of your shame. Right. But I would, I would imagine that regret could breed resiliency if you want to bounce back and learn from what you didn't do. Shame is just. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It. it could be. It could be. I would probably rather somebody would, um, would temper the word regret. Regret could, could lead you somewhere good, but there's probably a way to frame it that's only positive. Mm-hmm. No, I'll give you an example. Um, in, in a lot of the Svarim, Breslov, Chabad, like Balatanya says a difference between Atzvos and Mariros. The, 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 the Rav Nachman calls it uh, Atzvos and Lev Nishpar. Everyone's against sadness. Atzvos is a terrible trait. It makes you feel pity and self-pity and sorry for yourself. What's, it's the, just, one, uh, well, what's the one word you would use to uh, translate Atzvos? Sadness. I don't, I don't think you have to get more complicated because it's, it's a very broad word. Just that what sadness does is it, 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 it just, it, it's putting a, a spotlight, a magnifying glass on the neg, on your negative situation. And mm-hmm. that's now there is a, maybe this is why, I guess this is why you're asking me that. You're probably a step ahead of me. So, so there's another word called Mariros. Mm-hmm. Mariros is a bitterness. I'm not sure that's the best translation either, but that's holy. Omar, Marur. Right, right. Marur. It's, 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 that's a whole, that's, you're, you're not allowed to feel sad. You're allowed to feel Mar. Mar is the feeling you feel when you want to accomplish. You want to be more. You want to give. You want up to, and, and you're frustrated and you're living without. I'll give you an example. You know, you know the famous story in, in, in the Chumash where they came to Mara and the waters were bitter. There was no water to drink. So the people complained. So Moshe took a tree. And he threw it into the water. And when he threw the tree in the water, the water became sweet. Mm-hmm. So here's my relig- how re- religion would explain that. My, yeah. my religion. Yeah. Religion would say that what is bitterness? Bitterness is the feeling you feel when you wanted to give and you couldn't give. You never had the opportunity. You spent your whole life without teaching, without giving. And you, you, you were meant for that. And it's a frustration. A frustration of I wanted to be big. And I never got to... So, with that idea, if water is bitter, what would water be bitter about? What is water's dream? What does water want to do? Mm-hmm. What does water want to do? It wants to irrigate. It wants to, you know, water plants. It wants to right, be the right, stimu. Right. It wants to be the stimulant for growth. That's the dream. If if water would have dreams, its dreams would be to fall from the sky and watch its field and its trees and its flowers grow. That's the dream of water. The Gemara says that. It says, Arba Chukas. There are four, Chukas is a hard word, but let's say desires in the world. Mm-hmm. One of them is the Chuka of, of rain for the earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Desire to give. It's the same Chuka of a woman for a man. Fulfillment. She wants him. It's the same as the rain. She wants to give to him. She wants to shape him and mold him and inspire him. Mm-hmm. So it's the same, the same. You know, that's a good point for just a feminist talk. People think that when the Torah says that El Eve's that Eve it says to Eve that you your chuka, your desire will be for your husband, it sounds very subservient. N- not if not if you look at at all the other chukas, you'll realize that chuka is not that kind of need. The chuka of rain for the earth is is the desire to give. The chukah of woman for a man is not that she needs him, it's that she wants to shape him and inspire him. It's a very mm-hmm. positive chukah. Anyways, but that's a tangent. Yeah. But yeah. It, so if, if water is 
its desire is to give to 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 to, to give things to grow. So you have bitter waters. What do you do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Throw it a tr- throw it a tree. Mm-hmm. Throw it a tree. You know, because that's what it wants to give to. It's a metaphor for saying that whenever something's bitter, you see a girl, an older single girl, throw her a chasen. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you see a frustrated rabbi with nobody to teach, throw throw him a a, a group for a share. You know mm-hmm. that that the cure for bitterness is to give people t- what to give to. The prototype is to give a tree to water, and then the water stops being bitter. So opportunities, opportunities, yeah, yeah. So, right. So, so how did we get here? So we were explaining what mariras is. Oh, mariras, bitterness is the desire to give. It's not sadness. I'm not wallowing in self pity. It's a hunger. It's 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 acknowledgement of lack that's stimulating you to go further. Mm-hmm. Which is really what you, my, that's like a long speech for what you meant when you said regret. Like, you, right. obviously right. in your mind, regret is sort of Mariras. That's very fair. That's a nice way to say it. You know, Mariras mm-hmm. is, a, is regret. So let's take it to, you know, times where we're supposed to feel that we're uh, actually, it's the mitzvah, so to speak, uh, figuratively, of the day, Tishabov. So explain how Tishabov has that element because. There have been times, and I hope this happens every year, on Tisha B'Av where I feel, I mean, I was, I was going to say sad, but maybe after this talk I should say bitter. But then, you know, fast forward um, the Chavaz Chaim Heritage Foundation video and maybe some Yo Gold videos and some maybe your talks on, I don't know, or anything else. You feel a little inspired. You want to you do the things that could rebuild the base of Mikdash. So yeah. is bitter supposed to propel you forward? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's what it says. Anyone who mourns destruction will merit to see the rebuilding. Mm-hmm. It, wallowing in 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 self pity is debilitating. It just makes you lose more and more respect for yourself. Mm-hmm. Wallowing in bitterness is is basically bitterness is the feeling you have when you don't have something, but you still believe it's you can have it. The ship hasn't sailed. That's what bitterness is. Once a ship sailed, you can't, you, 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 you become cynical. You, you, you can't let yourself, you, you can't let yourself pine after something if it'll never happen. It's like, I'll tell you, I had a really deep story happened to me. I was in a mall and there was a kid who was lost and I could tell how terrified he was. Yeah. And, and uh, I was, I, I wanted to intervene, but you, know, you can't just walk over to a kid lost in the mall these days. I'll, I'll be the one missing, you know? Yeah. So I was trying to look for a cop or who might be his mother. It felt like it was taking forever, but yeah. I kept my eyes on this kid. I didn't want to lose him. And I was so blown away. He's a little boy, but already he knew that boys aren't allowed to cry. I never saw such terror in someone's eyes, but he had this firm jaw. He wasn't going to cry. It was like, oh my God, a little kid's already like this. Like he wouldn't cry. Uh-huh. And, and and it was going on forever. And then I finally saw where he saw it. I was about to jump in. Like I was saying, okay, one more second or 10 more seconds. There's no cop. I'm going to go in. Mm-hmm. But then I saw the second he saw his mother, his eyes brighten up. He runs across the mall, jumps from 10 feet away into her arms. You know what happens as soon as he's safe in her arms? He cries like a little boy. That's a very deep thing. When When you see something upside down like that, you got to figure it out. You know, like those are gifts, those kind of situations. Like the entire time he was sad and in danger, he wasn't crying. And now he's safe and it passed. He, he made it to the finish line. Now he breaks. 
Like now everything should recede. That's not getting worse. This isn't what's going to bubble over out and, and, and overcome his barriers. What's the answer? So, and it wasn't tears of joy. It was real crying. You know, mm-hmm. tears of joy would have been a good answer, but I was there. That was not what it was. It was, mm-hmm. it was just everything, all the pent up tears broke through. We couldn't hold them in anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the explanation is, is that we think that crying is the saddest thing in the world. Really, it's not the saddest thing. Crying is a very good thing. Crying means you believe that there's someone who will hear you. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe there's anyone who will answer you, you don't believe there's a cure, then you can't cry. You can't let yourself face it because it's too painful. You have to move on and let go. As long as this boy was lost in the mall, a boy, you cannot live without a mother. It's inconceivable. He couldn't admit to it. He had to repress that thought because there's no way to cope with the idea that I don't have a mother. And he couldn't even cry. Crying is saying, I need this. You can't say, I need something that will never come. It's only once he was safe in his mother's arms that he was, and he felt safe, that he was able to face how scared and dangerous it was. Now I can cry because now I'm safe. Crying requires a belief it, it that it's, that it's achievable, that it's possible. It's, it's within the realm of what might be. Mm-hmm. It's a very heavy thing, but uh, so how, how does that fit in? You, what, what you were, yeah, what you were saying with the so then, you know, I think that's I don't know exactly what the point was, but it, 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 I felt like that was the way to illustrate it. <laughs> so don't get old. We, <laughs> no, Tishabov and Mariru. So. Yeah, but I'm saying so. So in order to 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 be in order to have Mariru's. That's what, it, in order to have mirrors as opposed to sadness, mirrors, you have to believe that it's possible. You can't be, you can't pine for something that ship has sailed. If the ship has sailed, then you have to burn your diary. You can't face it. Mm-hmm. You can't have any reminders. Oh, but let me go back. I want, I'll do it really fast, but I wanted to show you the two sides, the two reasons that we lose our breath. You, that was the original question. Why do people become chillers? Why do we dream of the hammock? Instead right, right, of right, right. garden, why do we have to go to the minion that's late? Why do we have to say whatever and roll our eyes and cackle? So, the, because we don't believe it'll come true, why our dreams won't come true? One is because I lost my own breath. I looked at things I shouldn't look at, and I felt shame. You know, that's how sh- shame is a cop out. When I was eight years old, I wanted to kill a dragon and get the princess. I wanted to mow lawns and buy her an ice cream. And now I just clicked on some buttons and I saw everything I ever wanted to see. So you feel like a total fraud. You feel like a cheater. And that's what shame is. Shame is when you take shortcuts and you cheat and you don't, you know, when you, when this guy gives you this book and tells you it's the best book in the world and you skip to the last page where it says they live happily ever after, you know, mm-hmm. it's the kids who, when you do you ever do a trip to Masada with like students or congregants and there's always one guy, everyone's climbing from the early, in the early morning for sunrise. There's always one guy who takes the cable car. You know, you can tell that guy at the top, you know, he's the guy who doesn't belong. Shame is where you take a shortcut. You know, pornography is, 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 is the, is the cable car to, to a meaningful love, to an achievement of a true intimacy. You Mm -hmm. skip to the finish line. And uh, it's, I I mentioned it because the Torah is so busy with those kind of sins. Be careful what you look at. Everyone thinks it's, it's, what do you mean? It's, it's a victimless crime. Like Mm -hmm. what's wrong? And mm-hmm. the answer is no, the most important victim. It's you. Mm-hmm. You, you, you. It's the, for most people, their first shame is looking at something they shouldn't look at. Your first shame is not cheating on your taxes. Your first shame is not taking the cable car at Masada. 
The first chain, the first time, the first crack in my feeling of invincibility, the first crack in my feeling of worthiness is when I look at something I shouldn't look at. And I feel shame, and then I go hide, and now I have regret, and now my shame grows because I miss more and more opportunities, and I, everyone, I have increasingly growing shame. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's what I call the COVID shame, the internal shame, the thing that you let inside of you that ate you up from inside, your guilt and your shame. But then there's another shame. You cannot look at anything, and you could be hardworking. You can be everything. And somebody from outside can come and put a foot under your neck and crush you. You can be beaten and bullied. You can you can be persecuted. You can be shamed. You know, I tell people who have kids, like, or oh, the punchline in that class of the bridges versus the walls, yeah. you know? So the dilemma there was everybody was saying, well, you want your kids to know about the world. You don't want them to be ignorant. You want them to see everything. But on the other hand, you want to protect them. So how do you have both? Mm-hmm. My point was, it's not like that, is, is that the reason why we don't want our kids on the internet you know, in Lakewood, the, the schools, it's like a contract between all the parents that no parent in this school is going to, why? Mm-hmm. Because, so they say, what do you mean inevitably your kids are going to see everything? How are you you're living in La La Land? You think you can protect them? That's not what it is. It's that the kid has no accomplishments yet. You know, he has no pride. If he feels ashamed now, it's going to run through his personality unchecked. If I can delay his shame, even a few years, till he makes a CM on a small track date on, on Marcus. So mm. now the kid feels like a hero. And now when he feels the shame, he has an opposing voice. He can survive. If I can last a little longer to when he finishes Baba Basra, some, the biggest thing, he, now he feels like Hercules. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, eventually he's going to see things he shouldn't see, but at least now he has a response. Most people, most children in America now are exposed to shameful feelings way before they've ever done anything of significance. Mm-hmm. And the shame runs through their, their 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 entire personalities and destroys them from inside, and they become chillers. They can become very charming and very articulate, but it's all for the means of being cool and detached. And 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 more than that, the internet has has two main skill sets. The two main skill sets of the internet are a skill and to shame everything valuable. Everything is old fashioned. Marriage is truth, morality, religion, clubs, even the Boy Scouts. Like, like, what's wrong with the Boy Scouts? You know, they don't like the kids have badges and uniforms. They feel all self-important. They don't like flags, and you know, this is this isn't this isn't liberalism. Liberals are loving people. You know, Avraham Avinu, Abraham was a liberal. You know, mm-hmm. picking up picking up people, trying to take care of everybody, feeling the pain, empathy. But then there's a lot of people, not the majority, but the, you know, but a lot of the, the shrillest voices, that they, they don't care about the broken people. They just want to wipe the smile off the happy people. Mm-hmm. They want to. They want to make. You can't walk around feeling like you know the truth. There's no truth. You you can't feel spiritual. There's no religion. You can't feel like family oriented. Marriage isn't the thing. Money is evil. What's the common denominator of all those things? You know. Flags, clubs, you know, anything. It's it's there are people who want to rob people of every single opportunity to feel good, and that's what I feel when when I read things. It's all shaming all the values that make people feel joy, mm-hmm. and then and the and the flip side of that, the other side is then they glorify all the emptiness. The entire existence of Facebook, of of Instagram, of TikTok is literally nothing more 
than showing the rest of the world how my empty life is really better than yours. <laughs> it's getting you to be jealous of my emptiness. Yeah. Look at what I'm eating. Look who I'm dating. Look what I'm wearing. Yeah. Be jealous of me. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think TikTok's in the lead now. Seems like yeah, you know, because because it's because it's the quickest delivery system to that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so what happens to a kid who's online? He learns to be ashamed of what he believes in and jealous of emptiness. Mm-hmm. What chance do they stand? I call that Derek Chauvin. It's where you lose your breath, not because I did anything wrong, because somebody from outside crushed it out of me. Uh-huh. And there are two. So these are the two ways you asked how how we get to whatever from awesome, how we get to the eye roll from the wide eye, the cackle from the giggle, either by copping out, usually by looking at things we shouldn't look at, or by having other people putting myself in a situation where other people can crush it out of me and shame me. And make me insecure about what I what I do, what I myself really love and believe in. Whichever way, but my point is still true. Whichever way it is, it doesn't matter. The question is, how do you recover it? How do you throw the tree into the water? How do you throw the tree in ice? How do you throw the tree in the water? So listen, one shortcut is the shortcut is if if the reason you're there is because of cop outs, then just stop copping out. Yeah. People who stop looking at things they shouldn't look at, you feel holy, you feel pure, you feel bulletproof. Mm Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. do business deals that you never, ever thought you'd be brave enough to try. You right. can throw yourselves into opportunities because you feel you, you feel deserving. Discipline. We don't, yeah, yeah we, we don't know how charged up human beings really are naturally. The natural state of a human is so expansive, so brave, so courageous because we all live with different degrees of shame. So we don't even re- know what the natural state is. Mm-hmm. We're so reluctant and hesitant. Everybody wants to be cool, you know. Mm-hmm. You know what cool, what's coolness? Yeah. You know? The yeah. secret of cool, coolness is I don't care about anything. This yeah. way you can't hurt me. You can't, this way you can't hurt me. You know, you, know, you I, can't fi- you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah, and and I just want to go back to your point about you know kids on the internet getting shamed, and we we actually had a um, a lecture here in Columbus by Yankee Harwitz about this specific issue, and he made an interesting point. Like his analogy was, um, it's like a car. There's an age where you don't you don't get in the driver's seat. You just don't because you don't, you're not there yet. And then there's an age where you can get in the driver's seat, but next to you is an adult. And then there's an age where you earned it on your own. So I, I think there's similarities here because in order to um, be, you know, be challenged in those areas, you need a few wins in your, in your win column. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have, when you have wins and when you, when you're proud of yourself. So that's my point. My point is, is that like, People think the dilemma is, should I be sophisticated or innocent? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, I'll, can I give you the Torah metaphor I used? Yeah. Parshas, I'll, I'll do it very fast. Parshas Ekev. It's called the Parsha of the heel. Okay. Mm-hmm. It says, mm-hmm. uh, if you will listen to the Torah laws with your heel. Mm-hmm. And the end of the Parsha says, then the last Pasuk after the whole Parsha says, then every place that you walk with the palms of your feet, the Kaf Regal will be yours. So mm-hmm. I always thought it was like a nice little poetic thing where you change the word from heel to palms of feet. You know, yeah. it's just the same idea. What, what was the idea? A heel is the part of you that's callous. It's the part of the body that's meant for walking because the ground is hard and your feet are soft and there's sharp things. But if you want to be able to walk in the world, you need heels. You need, you need a heel. You need something hard. You need walls to protect you, you know. Mm-hmm. And the, the close the problem is that heels don't feel anything. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're going to make a wall, then you lose sensitivity. If you want to be nuanced and sophisticated, then you have to be sensitive. But if you want to be safe, then you need to be strong. You need to heal. But it feels nothing. That's the problem. But what the Torah ends off is, if you if you will have heels, then every place that your heels, that your the palm of your feet treads will be yours. And I realized that palm of the feet is not another word for heel. In fact, it's the opposite. The heel is the most callous part of a person. The palm of the foot is the most sensitive part of a person. When you want to tickle your kids, what do you tickle them? Uh-huh, uh-huh. The palm of the foot. Uh-huh. They, 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 can't, they go crazy. The, there's nothing more sensitive than the palm of the foot. But what, isn't that cool? That sounds like so mystical. That next to each other is the softest and the hardest spot. No, it's not mystical. I mean, it could be mystical too, but it, it's very, very rational. Wow. The reason why the palm of the foot is so soft and sensitive is because the heel takes all of the contact. Mm. And then the palm of the foot then could be sensitive. So this is what I say. It's The question's a lie. Do I have to choose between sophistication or innocence, high walls, or then I can't experience the world? No. The most sensitive, present, nuanced thing in the world is the heel, is the palm of the foot. And it's only like that because of the walls. It's when you build high walls, then the children inside can be so sensitive and present and can see the world like with the clarity and the truth that no one else can. The clearest vantage point to seeing the universe is safely behind walls that protect you from the voices that make you squint at the world and roll your eyes. When you strengthen the bolts of your gates, then your children are blessed inside. Of wow. course, we want our kids to be nuanced and to experience things in so many levels of and depth and sophistication. That only happens if you can th- maintain their purity. Human eyes see so much, mm-hmm. except when they start squinting. Right, it's the window uh, window to the soul. That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I I see why uh, you've been to so many college campuses. So much to talk about and. Uh, yeah. I think I think we've just begun. Uh, this is the, yeah. the iceberg. I understand um, that you have a whole lecture on is heaven a red state or blue state. Um, yeah. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's uh, for a take two. <laughs> we have to do that once, right? Right. But I really appreciate you coming on. We discussed so much. This was this is probably the deepest episode we've ever done on Colot. Really, wow. really is. I, I that's what that's what I'm saying now. And I and and I, I'm not saying that because. Um, you know, makes you feel good and uh, escape some pain and not confront yeah. reality. I'm saying that because I really think we got some real depth. To no, it's listen, it's it's all the interviewer. You gotta you gotta bring it out. Your little that little regret versus sadness, like yeah. you pulled out good stuff. You know, you're, <laughs> well, you're not I'm, just on autopilot here. I, I'm dealing with someone who has stuff to pull from. So, I, <laughs> thank you so much for joining Kolot and much right. more continued uh, Hatzlacha and success, inspiring Jews. Um, on every campus and every part and every corner of the globe. Amen. And uh, Amen. hopefully we get to connect again soon. Amen. And enjoy uh, the hope you have. A, your Kahila there grows. And uh, I guess your Kahila is much bigger than your Kahila. Your Kahila is the entire universe now. But, uh, <laughs> That's it's, uh, right. Good. We in Columbus too. All right. Amen. To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Colote on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. 
Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvahs at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.